Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis, transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right, soccer dude, rockin' America. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Soccer Noob Rockin' America. I'm your host, Soccer Noob. I'll be joined as always by my daughter, nine-year-old co-host, Person Noob. Hello! And as always, we're going to do mini previews of the 10 most intriguing matches anywhere in the world. And as we define that, anywhere in the world, we're going to go to tournaments and countries big and small. If it's important where it's being played, there's a pretty good chance we're covering it. This week, we're going to be talking about matches from Friday, January 28th through Thursday, February 3rd. Let's dive right in with... Match number one! We start with a Friday match, and we're headed to South America. It's time for World Cup qualifying in Conmebol, where they play a double round robin, and there's just five matches to go. Now, the top four of the ten teams are going to get to go straight to the World Cup qualifiers, and whoever finishes in number five won't be completely out of it yet. They will still have a chance at making the World Cup by playing one of the Asian teams that finish near but not quite at the top in an inter-confederation playoff. And the key matchup we're going to concentrate on here is number for Colombia playing host to number five, Peru. They're actually tr- uh, tied on points, so Colombia have the advantage on goal differential at the moment. Uh, they both trail number three, Ecuador, by six. So they're really battling it out for this last uh, official World Cup uh, qualifying berth. Brazil and Argentina, in fact, mathematically have already won their berths. Ecuador is more or less on the verge of it. These two teams also lead four other teams by four points or less. So it's going to be quite a race. Now, they've already played, as I mentioned, was double round robin, and Colombia won on the road, uh, nil three. Uh, as far as the overall series, advantage Colombia as well. In recent years, they've got a 7-5-2 record. And by the way, you can catch this on TV at 4 p.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. on uh, in-demand pay-per-view HD or on something called Caracol TV, which I'm assuming is obviously South American or specifically Colombian, um, you know, uh, soccer channel or sports channel in general. In any case, let's talk about the host first, Colombia. I am so glad every time I see this that they are nicknamed the coffee growers. So much safer and more marketable than uh, their other major export, perhaps. In any case, they are uh, rated number four in Conmebol, so a little bit above average, and a top 10 team by FIFA. They've qualified for the World Cup proper six different times. They've made the round of 16 more than once, uh, most recently 2018. That's the tide for the best they've done. As far as their offense here in this qualifying event, they've got the fifth best offense 
defense and more or less goal differential. It's actually a negative goal differential, but that's the case for all the teams outside of Argentina, Brazil, and Ecuador, uh, largely because the first two of those are just so incredibly dominant over everybody else. So the fact that they're only like at a negative one is pretty okay. Key players to look for in this matchup on the event scoring leaderboard with three already is Miguel Borja plays forward for them. Uh, right now he is back home with the club Atletico Junior in Colombia, but he just spent four years with Palmyris, albeit the latter uh, end of that time frame out on loan. And Palmyris is one of the uh, all-time great and certainly recently great uh, Brazilian clubs. And he's got 24 national team appearances to his credit since 2016. Also tied with him on the event scoring leaderboard is forward Luis Muriel. He is in his third year with Atalanta. Nice resume. He's also got a couple of years in with Sevilla in La Liga, amongst other teams. And he's got uh, 44 national team caps over the last uh, nine or 10 years. Uh, he is a key one to look for and a lot of fun because he's very fast. Uh, he can strike with either foot. And you may not see him properly as a forward necessarily. Uh, they like to slide him in as a second striker or even an attacking midfielder. But I think that their all-around best or most important player they have going right now is Juan Cadrado, uh, 33 years old, so a little long in the soccer tooth, plays right midfielder for them, but still good enough to be in one of Europe's uh, best leagues, Serie A. He's been with uh, Juventus since 2017, over 100 national team appearances, so lots of experience. Uh, doesn't track back real well on defense, not physical in that regard, but he is an excellent passer, really good at setting up his uh, teammates. Uh, we do, by the way, also have a USA connection for this team, uh, Yimmy Chara, that plays forward for uh, the Portland Timbers. Uh, he doesn't start for them or play for them a ton necessarily, but uh, he's on the roster now, and he's made 15 national team appearances for them since 2014. This team's current form, not great. They started qualifying hot and have really fallen on hard times, especially offensively. Now, they did just win uh, a friendly against Honduras, but uh, prior to that uh, win, they were 0-4-1, and, and over those five, well, yes, they had only given up one goal. They hadn't scored a single one, a lot of nil-nil draws. Coming to town to take advantage of that, Peru, number six in Commable, number 22 ranked by FIFA, five World Cup appearances. The only recent one they've had, though, is 2018, and they uh, just made it as far as the group stage. Uh, six best offense, seven best defense, nothing too surprising there. Uh, key players to look for. Tied for number five in event scoring with five goals already is Christian Cueva. He's their attacking midfielder. Plays in Saudi Arabia for a club called Al Fatah right now. But uh, Liga MX fans will know him well. He's also done time with uh, Toluca and Pachuca. 87 national team caps over the last decade for him. And uh, if you happen to be familiar with this player or if you want to look for him on TV, when he plays for clubs, uh, particularly you know, obviously with his current one in Saudi Arabia, he tends to play more on the wing, but the national team uses his differently. They like to use him more in the middle where he's very capable of getting in short attacking runs with this quickness. So look for him to take longer shots, maybe on the edge of the box or be making a short through passes, trying to get things to ping around and uh, get his teammates to take advantage of goalkeeper mistakes, perhaps. They're all around best player running right now, though, I think is Andre Carrillo, 
Interestingly, he also plays in Saudi Arabia. He was with Al Hilal. Longest run of his European career was with Sporting CP, one of the big three in Portugal, uh, where he did five years. Uh, his passing and dribbling are okay, but his strength is really on crosses. You're going to see a lot of passes between those two guys uh, lobbed in uh, from the side. We've got several USA connections. I won't say too much since there are two, so many of them on each, but... Uh, uh, the captain for Orlando is their goalkeeper, Pedro Gaese, and he's got 85 national team caps. Obviously, he'll be key. And then we've got some other guys, uh, Alexander Cayens, uh, Marcos Lopez, and Edison Flores, probably the most known of those three names, that play for NYC, San Jose, and D.C., respectively. Their form is 3-1-0 in the last four. They've won their last two matches in this event with a uh, very resounding 5-1 goal differential. My thoughts on this match are that Peru wins. Until Colombia can score a goal, you know, prove it to us, basically. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to get a win. I think that they've fallen off so much that Chile, which is only one point back, is actually also going to make the top five and uh, really leave Colombia on the outside looking in. Match number B. That's right, person noob. I am raising you right. Number you know what is bathroom talk. We are on team number B. And match number B is a Saturday match. We're headed to Africa, the Ethiopian Premier League specifically. They were rated number 27 until the most recent rankings came out for the CAF, which is African uh, Africa's Confederation, but they just dropped out. I don't know how far because they don't rank many more teams than that in Africa for some reason. And they've got about the same number of total overall uh, countries or national associations as Europe does, low or mid-50s. In any case, they still get a Champions League berth, of course, and their runner-up finisher will still get to go to the Confederation Cup, although they'll have to start in a qualifying round now. And they're about a third of the way through the season in Ethiopia, and the matchup is an absolute dandy. Number B, Cadis Georgis, which, by the way, just translates to St. George, taking on number one, Fasil Kenema. Right now, uh, Kenema uh, lead by one in the table. St. George, in turn, they lead number three, Wolkite Ketema, by two points in the table. So we got a great race shaping up. But we'll talk about St. George first. They are known as the Horsemen. They play out of the city of Addis Ababa. Uh, the name St. George actually comes from a neighborhood in that city. They were founded as the very first official club in the country back in 1935. It was a tremendous symbol of nationalism for them, uh, very much directed against fascist Italy that was there at the time. In fact, the Italians tried to just do away with this club, destroy it. And then when that didn't work, they uh, made them play an Italian club that was put together that had uh, much stronger players and was much better funded. And it would seem no matter how the games turned out, they typically ended with Italian police beatings. Yikes. So this, if you're a fan of this team, you have got some pride for the literal blood, sweat, and tears that have been put forth. And this is the historical power in the league or in and the country. Uh, 29 league titles to their credit, 14 of those in the Premier League era, which started in 1997. They also had a nice stretch where they ran uh, – won four straight from 2014 through 17. They have made nine uh, Champions League appearances. 2017 was the most recent. Didn't get any farther than the group stage. And in fact, they've never gotten past the group stage. 
Last year, they finished in third place. This year, despite not being your league leaders, at least not yet, they are undefeated. They've got a top three offense, but the defense is where they're really getting it done. They've only uh, given up at the time that I scouted it four goals in their nine matches. In fact, St. George and Fossil Kenova are the only two teams that are playing defense on that pace where they're giving up less than a half a goal per game on average. It's a low-scoring league all the way around, to be perfectly honest. As far as their current form, they've won their last two matches, low-scoring. Then, Fasio Kemena. Kenema coming to town. They are known as the Emperors, named specifically for one from the 1600s who was based in this area uh, named Emperor uh, Fasilitis, I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, they are based in the city of Gondar. No Lord of the Rings people, not Gondor, Gondar. Maybe close enough you could become a fan. Who knows? It's in the north-northwest part of the country, city of about 300,000, and it is a beautiful area. Lots of tourism here because it's known as the Camelot of Africa. It used to be the capital of the country, and a lot of castles were built there for that reason. They've only got one lead title to their credit, but hey, it was last year. This is your new and rising power. They've made two Confederation Cup appearances before. By the way, the Confederation Cup is the secondary international tournament there, kind of like the Europa League. Uh, they've never done any better than the prelim round, uh, which they got to in 2019 and 2020. They have got the number one offense by lots, which is just barely over one and a half ma- uh, goals per match, to be perfectly honest. But then they've got that great defense we talked about added up, and their goal differential, which I think is a key metric, is almost twice as good as anybody else's. Their form, they are 2-3-0 and oh in in their last five, and they haven't allowed a single goal in any of those matches. Match number three. Our second and only other Saturday match comes to us from Portugal, and this is the final of the League Cup. For those who might be unfamiliar, in importance for the trophies in most any given country, particularly over in Europe, you have uh, the main league's tournament trophy, and then you have the FA Cup, and then you have the League Cup, which usually involves teams from maybe only, say, the top two divisions from a particular country. In Portugal, it only involves the teams from the top two leagues, in fact, and the two teams that have made the final are Benfica and Sporting CP. No real surprise, two of the three of the biggest three in Portugal every single year. So I put this in match number three, not just because of the chronological order, but also because this usually is a great time and a great sort of match with nothing at stake. There's no international berth for us to get a visit from our in-house prognosticator, Noob Stradamus, but he has been under the weather. So rather than do something else sort of zany and fun, I just finally thought, why not find something interesting about the city where it's being played? It's at a neutral site in a town I was unfamiliar with called Lyria, which is in the central part of Portugal. I think it's only got about 100,000 people. And uh, the most fun thing I found about this area really makes me want to go both read this book and maybe even watch both movies based on it. So this is just one of these moments where we're going to learn about the world through the lens of soccer. I was unfamiliar, despite having been a lit major with this guy, Asa de Kairosh, but it looks like uh, Kieros, if you were to look at it, in case that helps and it might be familiar to you. He lived very briefly only in this particular town. He was a realist writer from the uh, mid-late 19th century, but he set a very famous novel here called uh, O Crime de Padre Amaro, Father Amaro's Crime or Father Amaro's Sin, and he set it right here in this town. 
Now, a little bit about this novel, just so you can see why it caught my attention in case you haven't read it. Uh, Father Amaro, the main character, of course, title character, was pushed into religious work because he didn't have any other vocation. Didn't really want to do it, and he did not like the vow of chastity at all. Very sexually frustrated. He ends up knocking up a widow who is engaged to a moderately high up government worker in the town. Uh, one of the places they had been meeting uh, to do their deed, in fact, that got her knocked up was uh, they had he had been pretending that he was going to tutor a mentally disabled girl who was the daughter of a bell ringer, and he would go there, sneak the girl in, and the two of them would uh, have their fun times up in the bell tower. Uh, the girl, as I said, she gets knocked up. She has to flee to the countryside. A government worker uh, knows somebody has done this. He is very, very upset. He's pretty sure he knows who it is. And so to get back at Father Amaro and the Catholic Church, and, oh, this whole thing is very anti-Christianity uh, and Catholic Church. He writes an expose for the local newspaper on every single priest in town. And for some reason, this city in this novel just has a million priests in it. And they are all involved with just beyond cartoonish sexual escapades. And this gets him excommunicated and sent out of town for, uh, sent out of town for a while. Eventually, he is brought back. He's even given a chance to marry the girl, make the child legitimate. But he says, no, thank you. And then, and this is why I really want to read it, because this seems to be a strange twist. The child ends up being born to a doctor and a very suspect midwife who has been directly insinuated, probably kills a lot of the babies on purpose, murders them, that she helps gives birth to. And it says very directly in the novel that she kills this particular one for some reason. And then the girl who gave birth to her, it is implied may have been killed by the doctor for some reason, although the language says that she died of an aneurysm because she got so upset that her baby had died. Wow. Uh, 2002, uh, there was a film that was made in Mexico that starred uh, an actor of some renown, Gail Garcia Bernal. Uh, it was somewhat of an updated version. Uh, uh, as far as date-wise, it wasn't set in the 1800s, and it was moved to Mexico, but it was still so anti-Catholic that Christian groups all over Mexico were just looking to go China on this and have it flat-out banned. And then in 2005, um, a Portuguese television channel, although they didn't make it for TV, sponsored the making of a film that was set at the correct time and in this town in Portugal. And to date, it is still the biggest box office success that any Portuguese film has ever had in history. Did you ever think you'd get that out of a soccer podcast? Match number four. And believe it or not, we're already on to key games on Sunday. Match number four brings us back to World Cup qualification action, but this time right here at home in CONCACAF. We're out of the eight teams that are playing in a double round robin. The top three will automatically go to the World Cup, and the fourth best team will qualify for, yes, another uh, inter-confederation playoff. They'll get to play the winner of the Oceanic Football Confederation, so the OSC is not guaranteed an entrance. So uh, basically somebody will get to go and beat up on New Zealand. It used to be Australia, but they joined Asia about a decade ago in the soccer sense anyway, obviously. And the matchup, Canada versus the USA. And uh, if you're listening to this show, I know you listen to lots of shows probably, 
he might even know a lot more than me about the U.S. national team in terms of the history of the specific players. So we're going to focus on Canada. They're going to be playing this game in Hamilton, by the way. You can catch it on Paramount Plus or Universo at 3.05 p.m. Eastern time. Here's how the table looks. Uh, Canada lead with 19 points. Then you have the USA with 18, Mexico with 17. And then a couple of the Central American teams, Panama and Costa Rica at 14 and 12 points, respectively. This is the 10th match of the 14, so not quite to the last legs, but getting pretty close. And when these two played earlier in the double round robin in the U.S., it went to a 1-1 draw. Canada, very much a power on the rise. They are the number seven rated uh, national team in CONCACAF now, but that's going to go nowhere but up. They're rated number 70 by FIFA currently as well. They've only ever been to the World Cup one time, and that was back in 1986. As you might imagine, there's just a lot of sports up there that have been more popular than soccer, but that's shifting to some degree. By the way, when they went to the World Cup, they didn't actually do that great. 0-0-3 with a 0-5 goal differential for and against. So it's looking pretty good for them to be going to Qatar next year, and hopefully they can have a better time of it. They have had some success in the CONCACAF Gold Cup, our Confederation National Team Championship, so they won it in 1985 and 2000. The most recent addition uh, last year, they finished in fourth place. Uh, Teams have been playing it pretty close to the fest offensively, it seems like. They're tied for number one in offense amongst these eight teams in the ten games they've played, but they're only scoring a little over one and a half per game. They've got one of the best defenses going. They've only allowed five goals so far. Key players tied for number one in event scoring is Kyle Laren, left winger, plays for the Turkish club uh, Besiktas, one of the powers over there. Uh, Orlando fans will obviously know him very well, spent his first five senior years there, and he's uh, on the edge of earning 50 national team caps. Uh, Tied for number one with him in event scoring is Jonathan David, just 22 years old, plays center forward for them as well as League One's Lille, and he's got a couple of dozen national team caps under his belt already. So some experience despite his tender age. They're all around best player for them probably unfortunately, is out for a health issue right now. Alfonso Davies, left back, 21 years old, and plays for mighty, mighty Bayern Munich, but spent his first four years in MLS with Vancouver. I was surprised to not find more of these, to be perfectly honest, but there were only two real USA connections I could find on the main roster. Uh, Goalkeeper for LAFC, he's on this roster, Maxime Crapo, and then a guy I'm much less familiar with, to be honest, uh, Mark Anthony Kay, plays uh, for the Colorado Rapids as a mid midfielder. As far as the team's current form, they're just outstanding. They have won four straight matches, unbeaten in their last nine, and probably going to be quite the handful for the somewhat struggling, even when they're successful, USA team. Match number five. This is another Sunday match, and we are heading back to Africa, this time to the AFCON their confederation championships for the national teams, which are in the round of 16 right now. We're going to look at Senegal taking on Equatorial Guinea. A little bit of a minnow matchup here. Senegal should be able to win this on paper. Probably a lost shout for Equatorial Guinea, and that's why we're going to look at it. The winner is going to get either uh, Burkina Faso or uh, far more than likely, at least on paper, uh, Tunisia, the North African uh, powerhouse up there or one of them. In any case, we'll start with the home team on paper first. The entire event is taking place in Cameroon, and that is Senegal. They are known as UG. No, they're not known as UG. It's just my guttural reaction. The Lions. 
Come on, Senegal. Let's do better. Everybody's the Lions. All right, off my soapbox. They are rated number one right now in all of Africa and number 20 in the world uh, by FIFA. And yet uh, their power uh, rise is fairly recent. They've only been to the World Cup ever twice. Uh, Most recently, 2018, they went 1-1-1 and in the group stage. As far as uh, other AFCONs, 2019, they finished in second place, and that's tied for the best they've ever done. I've never quite gotten to hoist the trophy. For this event, they just won their group with a 1-2-0 record. They beat Guinea and Malawi by just one point. It's hard to create a lot of separation when it seems like this is a uh, episode that's all focused on low scoring. Uh, they only scored one goal in the group stage, but they didn't give up any. They did find their offense last round, the round of 32. They beat, uh, beat Cape Verde to advance this far, uh, 2-0. Uh, their best all-around player... Who do you go with? It's Senegal. They've got players peppered all over uh, the best clubs in the world, all over Europe. I'm going to say Sadio Mane, left winger for Liverpool. He's got a couple of goals in this event, but certainly not to be forgotten. On the other side of things, uh, Chelsea's goalkeeper, Eduard Mendy. And then their captain. Uh, He's a center back. And I'm a lot less familiar with him, to be perfectly honest, showing a little bit of my noobness, perhaps, to create a a fun adjective there. Probably even going to butcher his name, Kaladu. Kolibali. He's been with Napoli since 2014 over in Serie A, Italy. And he's going to be a key one to look for, in my opinion. Uh, From what I've learned, he's very tall, just very physically big in general, and he's very good in the air. But he can get a little bit too physical. So if Equatorial Guinea can you know, sort of force their attacks in his area, they may be able to get a fair number of free kicks. He is known for fouling an awful lot. But no matter what Equatorial Guinea try, they are up against it. Senegal are unbeaten in their last 15 matches. And now your unlikely challenger is much cooler nickname. They are known as the Thunder, number one rated in uh, the African Confederation. So just a little bit above average is all. This is rarefied air for them, and they're just barely within the top 100 in FIFA. Never qualified for a World Cup. In fact, they've only ever qualified for two AFCONs before. Most recent one was 2015. They finished in fourth place. Nice run. That's tied for the best they've ever done. Or actually, it's just the all-in-out best they've ever done, I should say. They finished in second place in their group for this event, just a point behind Ivory Coast with a 2-0-1 record, still kind of low scoring. 2-1 goal differential was all that they earned for that. They advanced to this round over Mali from the round of 32, nil-nil after regular time, and then had to win it in penalty kick 6-5. Key players, uh, they're in or have been in Europe, but boy, they're not <laughs> they're not playing for clubs like Chelsea and Liverpool. Their all-around best player is probably Pablo Ganet. He's a central midfielder, Spanish-born, as are uh, several guys on their roster. Plays for a club called Real Murcia. Not familiar with it? Don't feel bad. They play in the Secunda Division RFEF, which in the new way that they've got things organized over in Spain for the league structure is the fourth division. And that's their best guy. Their captain, Emilio Ensui, uh, he's a right back, also Spanish-born, was last with uh, Apoel Nicosia, but right now he's not even attached with the club. Uh, 2008 through 14, he did play with Mallorca, which right now is in La Liga, but I think was probably in the second division back when he was with them. 
All right, I get the message. It's time for us to take a break from tracking the upcoming week's matches and do a recap of last week's. Let's see what happened. Last week, Friday, match number one, the AFC Women's Asian Cup. We talked about Japan versus Myanmar, and it was a bit of a blowout. Japan won 5-0. No surprise there. They're a big power in Asia, of course, right now. Saturday, match number B was a whole tournament, really, with four teams. The South African Compact Cup. Congratulations to Warriors on beating Coastal United 1-2 and claiming that trophy. Sunday, match number three from the Premier League. England, number seven, Man United, took on number four, West Ham, and it was a 1-0 win for Manchester United. That moved Man U up to number four, and uh, West Ham ended up in fifth place. Match number four, Netherlands, the Eredivisie, number one, PSV Eindhoven. They played host to number B, Ajax, and the result was an Ajax win, one to two. Man of the match possibility that we had said to look for sure was for Ajax. Dushan Tadish, he had an assist, and the two switch table positions. I ask you now in first. Match number five, we visited the AFCON for a round of 16 match between Burkina Faso. They were taking on Gabon, and they finished with a 1-1 draw, and then Burkina Faso went on to win in penalty kicks, 7-6 uh, on penalty kicks. Gabon were kind of lucky to even get two penalties in a way. They ended up scoring by a Burkina Faso own goal in the 90th minute. Match number six, Thailand's League One was our destination where number one, Burram United played host to number B, Bangkok United. Burram won 1-0. There was no change in table position here. Tuesday for match number seven, we went to Australia's A-League Women. Number three, Melbourne Victory was to play number one, Sydney FC, but that match got postponed, almost certainly due to COVID. Thursday, match number nine, World Cup qualifying from CONCACAF. We had the USA, which was second place in the table, taking on last place number eight, Honduras, and the USA snuck out with a 1-0 win. Match number nine, we went to Belgium, the first Division A, top flight there, number B, usually number one, Club Brugge, taking on number one, Union St. Gilloise, USG, and the match finished as a nil-nil draw, so no change in table position there. Both are certainly going to finish high enough to make it to the league's championship round. Match number 10 from AFC's World Cup qualifying in the third round. Number four in their group, Lebanon, took on number B, South Korea. South Korea, unsurprisingly, came out with the win. Just no one. No change in table position for either of them. And then our bonus matches with explanations coming later on when we do it again. The route of the week is a Friday match from the fourth division in Mexico, Liga TDP. And it was number one, Mouches, that got to play number 16, Vio de Gico. And surprisingly, was not a blowout. Uh, Mouches won one to one and then four to three on penalty kicks. And much like happens in hockey, I believe, here in North America, Mouches ended up getting two points instead of just one, like Bayo de Gico did. That's the rule there for if you win on penalties, you get an extra point. The most meaningless match in the world was a Sunday match from the Netherlands era DBC, number 14 Heracles, but number 13 Go Ahead Eagles. The result is that you usually is with the most meaningless match was a 1-1 draw. And then finally, your match of disappointed was from La Liga on Saturday. Last place, number 20, Levante, took on number 19, 
Cadiz, and unsurprisingly, because Levante are really poor this year, Cadiz got the win nil two. Uh, your goalkeeper was the man in the match, and Hiramias Ledzima. We made special note of him in the preview, and that moved Cadiz up to number 18. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back into tracking the upcoming week's matches once again with... Match number six. More Sunday action. Let's head to Croatia for a first league match. That is the top flight there. It is the number 17 ranked league in Europe. So close and yet so far, the top 15 leagues in Europe get to send two teams to the Champions League. So Croatia just missing out. One to the Champions League, two to the Europa Conference League. That is the new tertiary international club event in Europe. Your matchup is a classic number one versus number B. Number one, Dinamo Zagreb taking on Rijeka. They are tied on points in the table. Uh, actually, Zagreb lead by 11 on goal differential, though, quite a bit, and they have a match in hand on Rijeka. These two are also tied on points in the table with Osijek. They've actually got the same uh, goal differential as Rijeka, but they trail them on the next tiebreaker, which since there's a while to go in the season isn't too critical, but on goals scored. These two teams have played uh, twice already since it's a fairly small league, and both times they were shootouts and both times draws, 3-3. Three to three. Zagreb have had the best of it in recent years, and they have a 21-15-16 and 16 record there. Zagreb, this is your traditional powerhouse, 22 league titles, and they have won the last four. Yet that said, they've never been past the group stage in the Champions League. 2018-19, they made quite a run in the Europa League, though. Best ever finish for them. They made the quarterfinals. Uh, 2020-2021 Europa League, uh, they did make it out of the group stage. Or rather, no, I'm sorry, that's this year. But they have to beat Sevilla in the playoff round to actually get to the knockout round of 16. Now, they've got the second-best offense and defense going, and that defense doesn't even allow a goal per match. So they're on top of their game. They've got the number one overall goal differential. And the offense, they succeed by spreading it around. They don't have a single scorer in the top ten in the league. They do have three players that have five goals each, and I think that their best all-around player isn't even one of those three. It's Luka uh, Ivanashek. He is a right winger, 23 years old, three goals, four assists, but just an incredibly well-rounded player statistically, no weaknesses, and he is a tremendous tackler, over a 70% success rate uh, when he's doing that, so he tracks back well from the wing on defense. Celtic over in Scotland wanted him really really bad. So I'm a little bit surprised that he stayed with Zagreb, to be perfectly honest, because Scotland's league has really been on the rise of late, and that's largely because of Celtic and Rangers. As far as this team's current form, they have won four straight matches and have conceded nary a goal in any of them. And now Rijeka, uh, they are named for the town. It is the number three size city in the country, about 100,000 people. It is a deep water seaport, one of the only ones in this area in the Adriatic. Uh, fun note that I found here for a couple of reasons. There's a language I was unfamiliar with that's spoken there called Fiuman, F-I-U-M-A-N. It's not the main language, but it is spoken there. And it is a Croatian dialect of the Venetian language. I didn't even know that Venice had its own language, particularly modern day. So all kinds of learning. 
part of the reason I like to do this, learning the world through the excuse of learning soccer. This is the third best club in the country historically. There's barely rated within the top 100 by UEFA. They have been to the Europa League four different times and uh, just have made the group stage, haven't made the knockouts, and that includes last year. This year, they won a couple of rounds in the Europa Conference League before they lost in the playoff round to PAOK. They've only ever won the title once before. That was back in 2016-17, last year, third place finish. This year, the defense has been okay, but the offense has been what's number one. And that's largely because of the efforts of league-leading scorer Josip Dermich. And I'm hoping that I'm getting that name right, because he's only got the one vowel in there, that I near the end. He is a Swiss striker. He's actually on loan here from Norwich City, who you'd think could use a, if you file a Premier League, you'd think he could use a guy like they could use a guy like this. He's also been with various Bundesliga clubs in Germany, albeit not any of the top powerhouse ones. This team's current form, they are one one and one in their last three with a two and two goal differential. Match number seven. Our weekend action is not quite done. We've got one more and we're headed off to little tiny Gibraltar, where the top flight is called the National League. And get this, it is rated number 51 in UEFA. Now, the reason that's fun, if you don't happen to be in the know, even if you follow the Champions League, a lot of people will not follow the Champions League way back in the early, early preliminary rounds where the little tiny countries have to play each other. And they have something called the extra preliminary round to start off. And it is the four lowest ranked teams in UEFA they have to play. Gibraltar usually find themselves there, but they have risen just enough to have gotten out of that and don't have to play in that first round next year, I don't believe. So good on them for just squeaking past that first bar. And when you're a little tiny rock of a, you know, not island, but a rock of a country with only about like 30, 35,000 people, that's really darn good in my opinion. Now, as far as the way their season shapes up, uh, they play a single round robin amongst their 10 teams and there are 12 teams rather. And then they split into championship and relegation divisions of six teams each where they play a double round robin. The points do not start over. And this is the beginning of the championship round for the league and your matchup. Number one, Lincoln red imps taking on number B Europa right now. The red imps lead by three Europa in turn lead St. Joseph's by five. When they played in the, uh, first phase or regular season, if we will, Red Imps won three nil. Let's talk about them first. They were founded in 1976 as a name that struck me a little bit odd at first, the Blue Batons, but I wasn't thinking of Baton in the right way. Their uh, history is as a police team, plus with some players that were released from a different club. They have never made it past the second qualifying round of the Champions League or the Europa League. But with the advent of that new tertiary tournament, the Europa Conference League, uh, this year, for the first time, a team from this country made a group stage. They got to the playoff round. They had to beat uh, Riga from Latvia in the playoff round, and they did it. Got to the group stage where they got completely stomped. But that's okay, Red Imps. Again, you, when you're the size of like Richmond, Kentucky or Ames, Iowa or something, that's really, really good. They have won 25 uh, league titles in this country, three-time defending champions, perfect record on the year, 10-0-0. They average exactly four goals per match and only allow 
uh, a half a goal per match on average. They've got the third best leading score. I can't tell you much about him other than that his name is Kike Gomez, and he's from the Philippines. And then interestingly on defense, I don't know if this has been because of injury or they just like to rotate it around for some other reason, but they have started at least four different goalkeepers throughout this season. And now your main challengers in this league, Europa, they are known as the Green Machine. Fun history, they were merged with a co- with a, a team called College in the 1980s, and then they became uh, known as College Cosmos. Just reminds me of the, the poster with Belushi that just says College on it. In any case, they again re-split then in the 2010s. The other team became a team called College 1975, which now also plays here in the top flight in Gibraltar. Yes, believe it or not, they actually have more than one league. Uh, they have This team as well has never gotten past the second qualifying round of the Champions or Europa League. Uh, last year, they did get to go to the Europa Conference League, but they lost in the first qualifying round. They are the last team to win a league title here other than the Red Imps. That was in 2016-17, one of their seven league titles. Last year, second place. This year, second best offense and defense. They've got the number one league score. So this is who uh, the Red Imps are going to be trying to shut down, Antonio Pino. And then they've also got the statistical number one goalkeeper in the league, at least in terms of clean sheets, in Christian Lopez. Their current form, well, the only non-win they've had all season was their early loss to Lincoln Red Imps. Match number eight. And you've earned Monday off. New Bites will pick things back up on Tuesday. Match number eight, more World Cup qualifying action in Asia where they have reached the third round. Now, what does that mean? Well, two groups of six are uh, who are left alive. They're playing a double round robin. They're six matches in. Top two teams from each group are going to get to go to the World Cup automatically. Your number three finishers will get to play against one another for the right to play in in. Inter-Confederation playoff. And the matchup that at the time I started scouting it looked the most interesting. I've got to chuckle at myself here a little bit. You'll find out momentarily. Number four, Oman versus number three, Australia. It's still going to be very, very interesting. But here's the thing. Let's look at the table first. Japan are in second place in this group with 12. Australia have 11. Oman are four further back with seven. And then you've got China with five. Now, Thursday games are what throw me off from a scouting standpoint. These teams, two teams, will both have played one more match between the time I scouted and the time you're hearing this. Australia will be playing last place in the group, Vietnam, while Oman will be playing first place, Saudi Arabia. So there's a pretty good chance these two teams will be much further apart. No offense, Australia, but I'm sort of hoping you'll get uh, maybe only a draw or who knows, maybe even suffer an upset if you're overlooking Vietnam and that way this match will be that much more interesting. But with four matches to go, no matter what happens, it's still going to be an interesting match. Australia won earlier in this event with them, 3-1, to one, and they have had the best of it in their recent games historically with a 4-2-1 and one record. Oman, we'll start with them in the AFC. They are rated number 13. They're also with FIFA, tied for number 86 with Lebanon. Uh, which is pretty good considering the country's only had an FA since 2005, although admittedly they have had a national team since the late 70s. They have never qualified for a World Cup. They have made the last five Asian Cups, which is their confederation championships. 2019, they made the round of 16, and that's the best they've ever done. As far as this event, qualifying, 
average on offense and defense, best all-around player they've got going statistically overall, probably Amjad Alharthi. He's a right back for them. Plays for a domestic club, Alseeb. He's only got eight national team caps, but they all came last year. Now, this, I think, is sort of a telltale sign for this team. Well, two things. Number one, they don't have many, if any, players kind of peppered around with the big, hot European clubs. Most of their players are with domestic teams. Statistically, then, as well, this guy, to be perfectly honest, he's low-end average in most of the things he needs to be doing with the ball. His best stat is interceptions, and he is amazing at that, but that's about all he does. And I'll also mention their captain, Mohsin Al-Qadi, a midfielder, 33 years old. Their veteran presence, 39 national teams caps since 2014, plays for another domestic club called Sohar. The team's current form, they are 1-1-2 one, one in their last four. Those were in the fairly recently played Arab Cup, which involves some of the African national teams and some of the Middle Eastern national teams. And they had a 6-5 and five goal differential for that. Match number nine. Go ahead and flip your calendar to Wednesday and get ready for the Premiership in Scotland where we've got the Old Firm matchup. Now, uh, the Premiership is the number 10 rated league in all of Europe. That's up one from a year ago. Managed to get them just past Belgium. They get two Champions League berths now, although neither one gets to start directly in the group stage. Uh, one of them will start in the playoff round, which is the round right before that, and then another one will start in a uh, qualifying round further back. And then, of course, two Europa Conference League berths are theirs as well. Your matchup, as I mentioned, the old firm. It is number B, Celtic, playing host to number one, Rangers. Rangers lead at the table by four right now. It is a two-horse race because Celtic lead Heart of Midlothian by a dozen. When they played earlier this season, Rangers won at home 1-0. You can catch this, and I suggest it, at 2.45 p.m. Eastern Time in the U.S. on CBS Sports Network. Uh, Celtic. Now, for both of these teams, by the way, I'm not going to do what I usually do and follow my normal template and talk about their international exploits. These are two of the oldest teams around, and they've each won a billion things. Celtic, though, as far as league play, last year they finished in second place, and not getting the title, that broke a nine-year winning streak of trophies for them. This year, number one offense, scoring well over two goals per match. Number one defense, uh, they've given up just over a goal on average every other match. They are just in second place, courtesy of three losses uh, to Rangers mere one on the season. For Celtic, tied for number three in league scoring, Kyogo Furuhashi, play, uh, Japanese national. He plays forward for them. Just came over, I believe, last year, yeah, on a four-year deal. They've also got the second-best assist man in the league in Tom Rogish, Australian midfielder. And in terms of clean sheets, the number one goalkeeper in the league, uh, English veteran Joe Hart. Man City fans... Might have liked to have get to know him better. Who knows? They had the rights to this guy for a dozen years, but always loaned him out. Best club he probably got to play for over on that side of the border was West Ham. He was also with uh, Tottenham last year, but didn't make any appearances. Good on him. Boo, Tottenham. Anyway, uh, we do have a USA connection over here, by the way. Cameron Carter Vickers, center back. He's English-born, but he reps for the U.S. He's got eight national senior team appearances for us. Very good passer, and he is on loan here from Tottenham. As far as the team's current form, they are 11-1-0 on their recent one run with a 23-8 goal differential. 
And then the Rangers. I've done a little bit more research, and I still don't know why they are called the Teddy Bears. as sort of a secondary nickname, but there it still is. They're ranked number 41 in all of Europe, by the way, as a club. And interestingly, I didn't have a full sense of this. I read a little bit more on it now. Uh, Celtic, uh, their main rival and obviously opponent for this match, it's easy, easy to associate them. Uh, with with Catholicism, Irish, because in the 1800s, the Irish emigrated to Glasgow, and this was their team. Up until that point, Rangers had not really been a, a sort of hyper-Protestant team, if you will. But once uh, Celtic really started to, or, or you know, was started as a Catholic-Irish team, that meant that the Protestants and the Union members uh, became Ranger fans. In any case, last year they finished number one. They were the team to finish uh, finish off Celtic streak, so their first title in a decade. This year, second best offense at two plus per match. Second best offense, doing nearly as well in that regard as Celtic is. Key players to look for. Tied for number three in league scoring is Alfredo Morelos. He's a Colombian striker who I found an interesting little note on early in his career when he was playing for uh, you know a, a home domestic club for him. He got loaned to a club in Finland fairly early in his career. How the Finnish and the Colombians are even talking. I know soccer brings the world together, but it's just an odd pairing to me. And he knew, and he was right, he had a tough time acclimating over there. He was actually married, and he left his wife and his entire family uh, back home rather than taking them to Finland, not the place that they wanted to be. Got it, Monty Python fans? Fair enough. Number one, an assist in the league. They've also got that guy, James Tavernier, an English right back. Newcastle had the rights to him for several years, but almost always loaned him out as well. And we do have a USA connection on this side of the match as well. James Sands, just 21 years old, midfielder, came over just this month, January, in case you're hearing this in February, uh, came over from NYCFC on loan. They've got an 18-month period for that with an option to buy, so he might be over in Europe rather permanently. Uh, He played with NYC uh, from 2017 on, so as a teenager, and he's already earned seven USMNT caps. Their current form, 10-2-0 in their last dozen, and they've only conceded three goals over that stretch. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! Yes, person noob, finally, although we still do have our three fun bonus matches to get to right after this. But it's also finally in terms of this event being held. Match number 10 is a Thursday match, and it is the 2021 FIFA Club World Cup. Thank you very much for putting this one off as well. On top of everything else, COVID, you suck. Going to be played in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Now, just what is this? In case you're a newer fan and you're not familiar, the World Cup is, of course, the national teams. The FIFA Club World Cup is the five confederation champions plus the previous year's winner of the top flight league in the host country. So your Asian champion and your United Arab Emirates champion both get to play in this event to determine who the quote-unquote best club in the world is. Now, to be perfectly honest, the European clubs, they will send their first teams or something akin to their first teams, whoever gets to go. But this isn't that important for them. They know that they're the strongest confederation. But that in turn uh, makes places like South America, yeah, their fans and their clubs, they really like trying to take this trophy away from the Europeans. But the matchup that we're going to talk ever so briefly about doesn't involve teams from South America or Europe. We're going to talk briefly about Al Jazeera 
and a club called Piray. Now, Jazeera, all I'll say about them is they, they have to start back in the very first round with nobody else, these two, because Al Jazeera did not win the Asian Champions League to get to go here. They are from the United Arab Emirates, and so by winning their league, which is a very, very good win, admittedly, the Pro League, they have the right to be here. And they get to start off playing Piray, which is a club from... Tahiti's League One. Yeah, it's not even the best league in uh, the Oceanic Football Confederation, to be honest. Now, because of COVID and a lot of stuff that got uh, put off or canceled, Auckland City was the team that got designated for whatever reason by the OFC. It's probably the best club in the country from two years ago, or in the Confederation, I should say. Auckland City from New Zealand, they were supposed to go. But because of the continuing really, really stringent regulations on people leaving, or more specifically, I should say, coming back to Australia and New Zealand, they decided to drop out. And so the OFC decided to give it to, I believe, the 2019 Tahitian League One winners, which is this club. P-I-R-A-E is the the spelling, by the way. And because whichever of these two clubs wins is probably going to get their butt kicks in the next round, let's talk about food. Once again, using soccer as an excuse to learn about the world. So I was trying to find a recipe that would be interesting for where this is being held in the United of Arab Emirates. And I found one that I don't know if it's real or not. And a lot of people don't know if it's real. Have you ever heard of whole stuffed camel? Think turducken, but think a little bit more Middle Eastern. Now, from what I've read, if this is real, it's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the largest item to ever appear on an actual restaurant menu. The particular recipe that ended up uh, making uh, the Guinness World Record book was camel stuffed with lamb, which was stuffed with one or more chickens, which is further stuffed with rice, eggs, and sometimes they put fish in there. I don't know if that sounds tasty or not, but what a, what a take on turducken. Now, if it is real, uh, from what I've read, the place you're most likely to run into this is like at a Bedouin wedding feast or some sort of cultural event from, uh, you know, from the Middle East or North Africa. Now, culinary expert Richard Sterling, uh, who wrote a book called The Fearless Diner, claims to have met someone who cooked it for a Saudi sheikh. But again, I'm not really familiar with this guy being, you know, I guess Bedouin food noob as well. But another guy, T. Cora Gessan Boyle, uh, wrote a recipe in his, uh, he wrote a semi-fictional adventure book, amongst many others, that straddled uh, the 18th and 19th centuries called Water Music, and he listed a recipe for it in the book that was camel stuffed with dates, stuffed with clover eggs, carp, seasoned bustards, and sheep, and then it gets baked over hot coals in an open trench, and it takes like 48 hours. Now, one more attestation that I thought, this will be the most fun of all, perhaps. And again, this doesn't lead credence to whether or not it's a real thing. But if you're a Pink Floyd fan, you might know this. Remastered CD versions of their album that was Adam Hart Mother contain a card of breakfast tips and on one side of that is a recipe for traditional bedouin wedding feast and it details the stuffing of a chicken inside a lamb stuffed inside a goat and then that is all stuffed inside a camel and cooked over a charcoal fire 
So I don't know how easy it would be for you to make for this, but at the very least, you can now go on your own uh, Google machine interweb trails and try to figure out if it's real or not. Bring forth the bonus matches. Perhaps my favorite part of the podcast, in large part because you have had a chance to say what the content should be. My handle on Twitter is Soccer Noob USA, and every single week I put up polls with candidate matches for each of these three bonus matches. The first one you've selected is a first versus last place matchup that we call the Route, 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 Route of, 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 of the week, week. Week, week. And you have selected a Tuesday match from Wales, the Premier League there. Number one, TNS, taking on number 12 in last place, Kevin Druids on Tuesday. This league, they get one Champions League match, and I believe they only assign one team to the Europa Conference League, interestingly. On the other end of the spectrum, we're in Kevin Druids' neck of the woods. Two teams are going to get relegated. Here's how the table looks and why this is going to almost certainly be such a blowout. TNS are number one and then sub. They lead second place Newtown right now by 14 points in the table. Meanwhile, Kevin Druids, they trail two different teams that are tied with one another by 15 points. Just, yeah, they're going down. They, uh, I'm sure they've already packed their suitcases. In any case, uh, the recent series has not quite been perfect for TNS in the last 15. Somehow, Kevin Druids did manage a draw in one of them. Well, your victors in waiting first. We'll talk about TNS. In 2006, uh, the company Total Network Solutions, for whom they were named, was taken over by British Telecom. And rather than just be called BT, I guess at that point, they decided to go with something else. In fact, this club was somewhat famous for having tried to sell their naming rights on eBay specifically back then. What they ended up doing, though, was going with uh, the new Saints. And Saints specifically because of a connection between the historical St. Oswald and the town of Oswestry, which is one of the two towns that are represented by this club. By the way, Oswestry is in Shropshire, England, while the other club that I won't even try to pronounce is on the Welsh side of the border. In any case, St. Oswald was a Northumbrian king with a cult following way back in the 600s. In any case, back to the footy. Northumbria, did you think you were going to get a reference? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, they finished in second place last year, just as they did the year before. But what's noteworthy is those two years broke a 10-year streak of them winning the title. They've got 13 titles for their credit, in fact, and that is the country's best. They have never made the group stage of a Champions League or a Europa League. Uh, this year, they did get to play in the Europa Conference League, and they made the third qualifying round. Domestically this year, number one offense scoring over two and a half times per match, second best defense giving up less than one per match, and that leads to the number one overall goal differential by a factor of over two over anybody else, let alone Kevin Druids. They've got the number one score in the league with 16 goals in Declan McManus. He is a Scottish-born forward, spent his longest stint back home with a second division team called Wraith Rovers. Uh, two national team caps earned those back in 2014-15. Also tied for number one in assists in the league. That guy is theirs to boast of as well. Chris Marriott from England. Teams form, they have scored five straight wins. Their only loss, in fact, all season was oddly enough, and who knows, maybe this gives Kevin Druid some sort of hope, to number 11, Aberystwyth. 
and I'm hoping I'm getting that right, A-B-E-R-Y-S-T-W-I-T-H, A or A with. In any case, let's move on to the Drew. It's much easier for me to say with confidence. They play in Keffenmauer, which is in the northeast part of Wales. Perhaps more correctly pronounced Keffenmauer, come to think of it. But regardless, it's a village of well over 10, under 10,000. And yet, despite the small size, they've actually got two other teams right there in the village, let alone in Wrexham County in general. Last year, they finished in dead last, but probably something to do with COVID. Uh, there was no relegation. Somehow they have made two Europa Leagues over the years, including in 2018-19. I think that to get that, they might have had to have win, have won the FA Cup. Not sure. In any case, they are winless this year. Worst offense in the league by four, only scoring 0.75 goals per match. Worst defense giving, oh, oh, wow, giving up over three goals per match. And that leads to a goal differential that is over three times worse than anyone else in the league. I don't even know who to focus on for the positives for this team. They've got three players that have scored two goals. That's the most anybody scored for them. And obviously, they don't have anybody who really shines exactly on the defensive end. As far as the team's current form, uh, five straight losses, not surprising. Uh, since their 1-1 draw versus number three kind of impressive Flinttown United could you be the most meaningless match in the world yes you could you're so boring (laughs) and the one that you have voted on is a Sunday match from the Super League in beautiful Switzerland. That league is rated number 14 in Europe. That is up five from a year ago. They passed the likes of Denmark and Turkey. They still only get the one Champions League burst, then a couple of ECL bursts as well. On the other end of things, their 10th and last place team will get relegated. The ninth place team will get to play in a relegation playoff, perhaps get to stay in the Super League for next year. Your matchup and what makes them so meaningless, number seven, Scion versus number six, Grasshopper. These two teams are probably not going to have to worry about uh, international berths or the relegation zone. Let's take a look at the table. Scion lead number nine, Lausanne by nine. Meanwhile, Grasshopper trail number three. That's the last Europa Conference League berth spot. Young Boys of Bern by nine. Uh, Grasshopper, by the way, won both matchups that they played earlier this season, both by 3-1 scores. But the series in recent years has been more Scion. 18, 8, and 13 has been the record between the two in favor of Scion. And we'll talk about them first. That is the name of the capital of the Valais Canton. It's perhaps best known for its winemaking. It's the third largest district for that in the country. It's in the southwest part of Switzerland, only about 35,000. They were founded, and this disappoints me, because I would never have changed this if I could be helped, as Olympique des Alpes SC. My French is bad. Maybe it's Alpes, but regardless, basically Olympic Alps. That's got to be just one of the coolest names you could imagine. I don't know why you'd ever change that. I would want that kit almost no matter what it looked like. In any case, they have two league titles to their credit, but uh, those were both back in the 90s. Last year, they finished in ninth place, so moving up to the most meaningless match is an improvement. Not sure they're going to be able to stay even this high. They've only got the seventh best offense, defense. The defense is particularly bad. They give up almost two goals per match, to be honest. They've got only the eighth best goal differential. Uh, Their all-around best player, probably Anto Gurchich. He plays central midfield, a couple of goals, four assists. Really good on 
the defensive side of things, a lot of interceptions and clearances for him. Uh, he's a little bit uh, lesser on some of the other stats, to be honest. And he used to play for Stuttgart, by the way, in the Bundesliga in 2018. And then I also like to uh, look at the most meaningless player on their team, as they do every week. Uh, it's basically the most average player statistically. That honor this week goes to Marquinhos Cipriano. He plays left back. He's from Brazil, just 22 years old. Only one assist on the year. Not real bad for a defensive uh, you know, player. Great interceptions and clearances. Here's where... He's a good dribbler statistically, but he just doesn't do a whole lot of it. He's one of those guys that maybe if he could, you know, dribble up the field a little bit more, get some through balls, help out the offense, that'd be great. In any case, their form over the last four is 1-0-3 is all. The most recent match was a 6-0 loss to Young Boys of Bird, albeit that was in a friendly. They've taken a little bit of a winter break that they're coming back from now. And now Grasshoppers, your challengers, they are from a town near Zurich, called Niederhasli. Uh, grasshoppers, why is it called that? Very sadly, uh, for the admittedly somewhat brief research I did, the only thing I found is it just said the history of the nickname is unknown. It might have been for the energetic and nimble goal celebrations of the players of teams in a bygone era. So who knows? But still, kind of cool, and I like the drink. In any case, this is an old-time power. 27 league titles to their credit. But you've got to uh, go back to at least 2002, 2003 for the last one. And a lot of those were, I think, in the early 20th century. Their first one was in 1897, 98, in fact. Here in the modern era, they have been getting to the uh, international season, got to play in Europe. But they've always found uh, fallen about uh, one or two rounds shy of the group stage for both the Champions League and the Europa League. This is what you would call a yo-yo team. They bounce back and forth quite a bit between the Super League and the Challenge League, which is the second division of Switzerland. They won the Challenge League last year and got re-promoted again. Uh, their stats, I, I don't think they're going to compete for a European spot, but I don't think they're going to be in any danger of slipping further down. They've got the fourth best offense, defense, and goal differential going in the league. All-around best player they've probably got is Christian Herk. He's from uh, Slovakia, central midfielder, 23 years old, two goals, four assists, and yet really it's defense where he tends to uh, shine a little bit more. He's good on crosses on offense, that's fine, but tackles, interceptions, clearances, he's not listed as a defensive central midfielder, but I think that's essentially what he is. He came up through uh, Wolverhampton's youth system. And then your most meaningless player for the team is another guy listed as a central midfielder, Hayao Kawabe, Japanese player, uh, four goals, two assess, assists, rather. another Wolverhampton reference. They actually just bought his contract, but then they loaned him immediately right back to Grasshoppers. Uh, he's a better passer and dribbler than their other guy who's listed as central midfielder. Uh, doesn't do much for clearances and tackles, to be perfectly honest. Not real not really well-rounded. Team's current form, they are 1-2-1 and one in their last four. They just lost 5-2. to two. Once again, it was a friendly with Young Boys of Bern. They played a few of those around the league here at their winter break. As far as their recent goal differential in the last three league matches, uh, it has gone 7-4 to 3 against. So, so they've still got plenty of offense working for them. And now at last, we reach the end of our podcast road with a match between two last-place teams somewhere in the world that we call the match of... Disappointed!
Oh, thank you, Kevin, for your score, and it is appropriate. The one you voted on is a Sunday match from Nigeria's NPFL, which is the number eight-ranked league in all of Africa. No thanks to these two teams, quite frankly. Uh, They get two Champions League berths and one Confederation Cup berth from this league. These two teams, they don't have to worry about that. Four teams of their 20 get relegated. They surely have to worry about that. It's early in the season, but nevertheless, we don't use that as an excuse. Now, the matchup, the one you voted on is number 20, MFM. Last place versus, they were in second to last place when I scouted it, but as of time of recording, they moved out of the relegation zone and all the way up to number 15, Shooting Stars. They're only like eight games into the season, so there's still a lot of fluidity, as you might imagine. Now, uh, MFM, they are only two points from safety, in fact, and then in turn, Shooting Stars, they only lead uh, number, uh, whoever's in 17th place, I can't remember, by only either one or two points. So it's still anything goes near the bottom of the table. Now, Normally, we like to really hardcore pick on uh, on these teams for the match to disappoint. It's just a lot of fun to do, quite frankly. But uh, the Shooting Stars team, I don't think is going to get relegated based on their stats. We'll talk about them in a moment. But then your home team today, MFM, they deserve ostracization, bile and vitriol, whatever you want to throw at them, scorn. But I tell you what, I want this team to do well. MFM, they were founded in 2007 in uh, the capital, uh, Lagos. They were a Bolawatan FC, but I like the new name so much better. They had a Muslim owner who sold them in 2013 and not even sold, basically gave them away to Mountain of Fire Ministries for no money, just gave it to them. In 2013, gave away the club license. Now, MFM is Mountain of Fire. As I said, it is a Pentecostal organization. Now, a lot of Pentecostal organizations in Africa are a little on the are a little on the spiritually soft side. I would say they preach something called the prosperity gospel, which is easy for people to fall for in the U.S. because we have lots of money, but doesn't play in the third world. I don't know why they're trying it over there at all. Quite frankly, uh, this too is a Pentecostal organization but they run a completely different direction. Uh, let's see, MFM, here's the information I found on them, a profile. The Revival of Apostolic Signs, Holy Ghost Fireworks, and the Unlimited Demonstration of the Power of God to Deliver to the Uttermost. Now, as the name would imply, the Mountain of Fire and Miracle Ministries, that's the full name, places a great emphasis on wonders, miracles, and other apostolic Acts. I grew up Lutheran. I currently go to a uh, very uh, Pentecostal light church. I'll just say the style is not what you would expect. Excuse me from some places deeper in the South than I have to live. But I got to tell you, these folks sound fun and they've got their own soccer club. I guess why why not have one if somebody's giving it away for free? I want them to avoid relegation in the hopes that we get to talk about them every so often. So go fight, win, Mountain of Fire Ministries. But so far, it's not looking great. Uh, last year, they finished in 10th place. Would have been a most meaningless match candidate. Uh, this year, they are 2-0-6 right now. Two wins doesn't sound too bad, but uh, they're tied for worst on offense. They only score, score, have scored goals every other match. They've got the second-worst defense in the league and tied for the worst goal differential. No one on the team has even managed to score multiple goals yet. Uh, their form, they have lost three straight and uh, just a one-in-six goal differential over that. 
And now your challengers, shooting stars, they're out of the city of uh, Ibadan, which is the third largest city in the country, about three and a half million. It's in the west-southwest part of the country, uh, probably best known economically for ag trade. They grow a wide variety of stuff down there and have been uh, trading it for hundreds of years and done pretty well for being uh, in an agricultural region. They've got five league titles, but the most recent one was all the way back in 1998. Uh, The very next year was the only time that they ever made an appearance in the Champions League group stage. They were in the second division last year, just got re-promoted, and they're doing pretty well. 15th isn't bad, and their stats would indicate to me that they're going to do better. The defense... 15th is about right for them, to be honest, but they've got tied for the eighth best offense. If they can keep that up, I think they're going to be okay. And their form has been 1-1-1 in their last three matches. And yeah, that's a wrap on episode 68 of Soccer New Rock in America. Thank you to the management for all of his editing and production wizardry, to Dan, the former Interno Inferno, for all of his creative inspiration and efforts, to my daughter, Persinu. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me on the show. Love you very much. And to you, no kisses for you. We don't know each other that well, but I would like to say thank you for listening because that's a little less awkward. And if you're not creeped out by that, maybe you could even uh, pass our show along to your footy-minded friends. We really do try to create something unique and a little bit off the wall here with what we do and how we do it. And until we do it next time, have a fabulous footy week. Take care.